0: Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's weekly politics podcast, the Exorcism Edition. Woo! <laughs> It is October 30th, 2014. I'm your host, Sarah O'Donnell. I'm an editorial writer with The Journal and with me on this Halloween week, hence all the spooky sounds, to talk about the events that may be haunting some in Alberta politics. Our columnist, Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. Senior reporter, Sheila Pratt.
1: Hello. And
0: provincial affairs columnist, Graham Thompson. Hello. The results are in for the four by-elections. We'll talk about Alberta's newest crop of rookie MLAs. I kind of like calling them rookie MLAs. We'll also talk about what those results say about the various parties and their leaders, and the Premier wasted no time getting back on the announcement trail after the by-elections. And so I'd like to dig into some of these latest promises and find out if they're scary or just ghoulishly good ideas. (laughs) Let's begin, though, back in by-election territory. By now, I'm sure most listeners know that the Progressive Conservatives won all four of these big city by-elections. That means that, one, Graham was bang on in his predictions last week, and I was wrong. I was wrong, I admit it, with my estimation that the Wild Rose would snag two wins in Calgary ridings. The other thing that that means, second thing, Jim Prentice managed to pull off the kind of win that I didn't think would be possible again for the PCs ever in the safest of ridings. So how did Jim Prentice and the progressive conservatives do this? How did they win these four by-elections?
2: I think they managed, he did manage to reframe the... Um, narrative in terms of a new government under new management and I th- that plus of course some of these writings were very safe writings and he also did put in the Minister of Education Minister of Health would actually that actually helped I think Gordon Dirks quite a lot in Calgary Elbow the vote there was split in Elbow um, you know because the Alberta Party did really well and so did the Wild Rose and the Liberals did relatively well they could have actually won that with the Alberta Party if you know it gone a little bit differently Anyway, having said all that, Prentice did manage to reframe the narrative in terms of a new management moving forward. And also, I think that the opposition um, was targeting Redford too much. Th- that was yesterday's premier. I think Prentice did manage to convince people that he had something new to offer. And, and th- th- also, just one last thing, there's that default setting in Alberta politics. Mm-hmm. People want a reason to vote progressive, conservative, and he gave them a reason yet again.
3: I think, you know, we're going with the Halloween theme, too. This is also the trick-or-treat election. There were a lot of treats, especially in Gordon Jerk's riding of Calgary Elbow, where magically school portables appeared um, in schools in Calgary Elbow that weren't even high up the list of schools that needed school portables. So there were, you know, when you're the sitting government and you can be writing the checks during by-election campaigns, that's a very powerful lever to have. So that helped. But I think also, you know, Jim Prentice. looks (laughs) premierial. And, you know, maybe that's just a costume in the Halloween theme. We don't know yet. But he managed to convince people that he looked like a guy who was a moderate, fiscal, conservative, pragmatic, uh, responsible leader. We'll see whether uh, people still believe that this next Halloween.
1: I, I I think that is, you know, one factor that I thought coming into this is people at beginning probably underestimated as did I the fact of of Redford leaving and how much that took with them the party decided. All that awful baggage. And that really, I think, really helped Prentice um, going ahead. So that, of course, it threw off the Wild Rose, whose campaign clearly was completely um, out to lunch on it. And then let's just say he he employed some pretty tried and true techniques, putting portables in. I mean, I laughed watching the TV, the new uh, candidate from... Calgary uh, West was saying, uh, "Well, you know, it's where I'm here for integrity and accountability, and blah blah blah." And then they're putting portables in the middle of a by-election. Into, <laughs> in principle, into a different this different is types. not this is not a good thing. Well, I mean, and, it, and there are elections caused, So Anyway, it's just tried and true techniques. They know how to win an election. They're, yeah, and 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 the Rose doesn't. And they yet. sure
3: didn't take anything for granted. I mean, you know, they're, every cabinet minister, every senior member of caucus was out door knocking, phone calling they weren't sitting on their laurels. I have to say, you know, I mean, You can certainly question whether that's a correct use of cabinet resources. But my goodness, I mean, uh, our colleague Karen Cleese was tweeting pictures election night of Mandel headquarters. And, you know, practically every
0: Tory in Edmonton was there working
3: on that one riding in that one campaign. A friend of mine who is
0: admittedly not a progressive conservative supporter said he thought that they could have run Muppets in those ridings. They were so safe for progressive conservatives and won this election. Do you think that's true? Because I, I thought that they actually had to work for it. But I don't know. Maybe, were they just such safe seats that we shouldn't have even thought that there was a real race?
2: What's well, interesting, uh, there was a Muppet, perhaps, of sorts, of <laughs> Mike Ellis in Calgary West. I'm not calling him a Muppet. I'm <laughs> saying he was a, a, a no name in a sense. He had no experience, no one knew who he was, and he still managed to win. But Although not, not but by much. But no. as I say, but not by much. It was mm-hmm. very close. Mm-hmm. But even then, they still managed to win. And the Wild Rose was still targeting, I think, the wrong message. that was aimed at Redford. Um, Calgary Elbow um, it did help Gordon Dirks to bring in the Portables. And I've called these by elections, as in B U Y. But again, as Sheila points out, it wins you an election. But I think overall, um, I think that they did a really smart job. And you, you can question the ethics of all of this. But they did manage to, to to win them. And I think even if they're different kind of candidates, it may have been maybe a bit different. But in Edmonton, Stephen a well known mayor, very popular. And the fact that um Prentice did really well in his riding, because he's the premier. You're actually electing the premier.
3: hmm And I think I think, you know, in Calgary West, where Mike Ellis certainly wasn't a star candidate. I, mean, I think the Rose made a terrible tactical error. They had a very good candidate in Sheila Taylor. And in the initial polls, Taylor was ahead. She was, in fact, I think ahead arguably for most of the evening. And it was just in the final polls that the Tories, you know, uh, what was the margin in the end? About 300. 300, yeah. Th- you know, so I don't think that the Tories won that riding. I think the Rose lost it. I think the Rose made a terrible tactical error. I think they spent far too many resources trying to fight Prentice in foothills and Mandela in white mud when those... They couldn't win those seats. They could have and they should have won Calgary West. And the fact that they didn't is very bad news for and Daniel also, Smith. I,
1: I think there is something to the fact they were safe Tory seats, though. I mean, those seats were all, I mean, in White Mud, that 60% Hancock won that with. Let's, let's look at the fact that his, the Tory vote went down by 20%. In any other riding, if Mandel had been running in any other Tory riding in Edmonton and the vote went down that much, an opposition person would have been elected. In fact, it only has to go down 10% in a lot of Edmonton ridings. To elect an opposition member, so I think it was to say this is the final word on on you know Jim Prentice and everything. It, they were very they were the safe seats, and yes, they worked hard. They worked hard in safe seats, and yes, they won by reduced margins.
0: Sheila, what was the mood like? You were on uh, those by election nights in the opposition campaign celebration headquarters.
1: Well, the, there was. Uh, At 7.30 before the polls had closed and the results were, there was a lot of excitement. I mean, there was a feeling that there was, you know, some possibility here, even though it was Empton White Mud, but by about 8.12 or 8.10, it was not looking very good, even in the Wild Rose um, uh, headquarters where they were, they also had high hopes. So it dissipated fairly quickly. And as Vitor Marciano would say, well, it looks like it's not our night. Mm -hmm. And um But when you add up all the votes together in every riding except the one that Jim Prentice ran, there are more anti-Tory votes than put in the Tory candidate. So that is also something to watch. Granted, of course, it's divided. But if I was the Tories, I'd be keeping an eye on that too.
0: So it has been interesting to watch the non-PC supporters go through various phases of the grief process since Monday. <laughs> Anger, denial, you know, what. <laughs> That's right. I'm not sure where we're at now, but we're we're moving along the continuum. But there have been a couple of different themes and some immediately started questioning whether Daniel Smith could stay on as Wild Rose leader. How do you think she's handled those questions? Can someone kind of sum up what's happened for our listeners? Well, she's and-
2: actually uh, said she wants a review of her leadership at the next um, general meeting, which is in two weeks um, from, from now, actually. So she had to get ahead of this because people were beginning to whisper about her, her leadership because not only did they not win any of the by-elections on Monday night, they finished third in two of the by-elections. And she was saying to the media last week, At the very least, we want to finish second. Maybe win one or two would be great, but at least finish finish second. They didn't. They finished third in two of them. So people are questioning her leadership now. A lot of Tories are whispering about it. (laughs) It's more Tories whispering about her leadership than actually the Wild Rose, but she knows the questions are out there is, is she the right person for this job? And she must put this to a leadership vote. Otherwise, it would eat away at her for the next year. There'd be people questioning uh, whether, in fact, she's the right person. There'd probably be maybe even a a mutiny inside the caucus. I don't know. Tire kickers would be coming out. Having said that, um, it's a bit of a risk for her. At the same time, I cannot imagine anybody else doing what she's done for the party. I think that she knows she's relatively safe. That she's telling the party, look, show the public you're actually behind me. We can move forward. It may mean, though, a house cleaning of sorts internally, because some heads have got a role for the results on Monday.
0: Mm, I was wondering the same thing, if it was dangerous to put herself up for a leadership review and to very specifically state a number that she that she expects to get in order to stay on. And as Graham just said, the magic 77% number continues in Alberta Politics. She says she needs to get the support of at least that many people for her to stay on. What do you guys think, Sheila and Paula? Wouldn't the Wild Rose be crazy to get rid of her? Oh, oh, yeah. They'd be totally crazy, which doesn't mean they wouldn't do it because <laughs> probably
3: not everybody in that caucus supports the way that uh, Smith has moved the party more to the center there may be some people saying that that was a mistake that they needed to go harder to the right and there are certainly people in that caucus in that party there's always a there's always somebody who thinks they could do a better job than the leader but i think they'd i think it would be madness for them um uh, but i Graham is right it would be the Tory dream come true you know for the party to be in disarray for them to have their own leadership for them to elect somebody who wouldn't be as savvy a politician as Danielle Smith
0: Um, we get a 40
3: more years of Tory rule
0: Mm. do you think she's smart she was saying again though that they need to change their message again or broaden their appeal
1: further how do they do that well she acknowledged that they spent too much time talking about the negative um, Tory sins and not enough time about who they are and that's really what everybody's waiting to see about them they haven't really ever done that really properly i think she will easily she will easily win because she's only had one election she probably deserves another election but they're going to have to talk about policy and that's where it could get difficult for her right because if she's moving too far to the center Uh, her right wing will have a problem on the other hand if she (laughs) doesn't how does she distinguish herself from the Tories because I think in in Jim Prentice we have a fairly right wing Tory here he's on the conservative side of Tory not more uh, not so much the progressive side, I don't think. So they're going to – how are they going to – what's she going to do to distinguish herself is the question I'm going to be looking for when she starts rolling out some of this talk. You know, and
3: are there Rob Anderson maybe waiting in the wings? People on Twitter were talking about Ted Morton, who I actually saw on election night stro- striding down Jasper Avenue, um, you know, that he might come to be the new leader. I mean, so certainly there were people on Twitter election night – even before all the results were in, you could hear the whetstones sharpening the knives on social media. But I'll I'll tell you, if if the wild rose dump her now... They're they're done for. I I can't imagine a more strategically stupid move they could make at this point.
0: A prediction from Paula Simons. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> I would like this. A <laughs> <The too> Halloween <laughs> prediction. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Well, well yeah. Well, the, and, and, and as and as Sarah
3: is alluding to, I was too much of a coward to make a to make a by election prediction. I think the only thing I did predict is that if Danielle Smith didn't win
0: in Calgary West, she was going to be in trouble, and I was right about that. <laughs> 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 so has Jim Prentice successfully exercised the Alison Redford deal? From the PC party, is this done? Do we not talk about uh, the Redford time anymore?
2: You get the impression. That, well, we'll like, see what like happens? the burning
0: time. Well,
2: yeah. we do have that RCMP um, investigation that can use that term into the uh, use of the airplanes. That, that's still out there. That's still ongoing. They're still doing interviews. We'll see what actually happens with that in regarding Redford. But uh, it seems to me the Rose is admitting. That they were too negative, uh, that they were t- attacking a, a target that had left politics back in March. That's Alison Redford. So you would think that that ship has sailed. That they can't keep hitting that drumbeat over and over again. We'll see what happens if we do get more scandals. But I think we saw scandals all summer long tying back to Redford, and it didn't seem to stick to, to Prentice at all. Well, you know, and
3: the, and the problem is, you know, with Mandel, for example, in White Mud, uh, the Wildrose strategy was to try to print try to paint him as Alison Redford-like, that he was, you know, had taken perks. It was a stupid narrative strategy because that's not Mandel's public persona. And they never managed to convince anybody that it it had been. They need to find, as Sheila says, they need to present what are their policies? What's their platform? What would a Wildrose government look like? It can't just be about whining about things that happened four and five years ago on somebody else's watch.
0: And what about the left? I mean, you were there at the NDP... uh, Office with Rachel Notley. Did they start? I've seen the entirely predictable calls to unite the left uh, on online and I think that'll never happen. What did they do? Do you think they did enough? Did they do what they needed to do in this election to kind of put their stamp on that side of the political spectrum?
1: Well, I think there there were some good showings amongst the opposition parties. NDP and White Mud did very well. The Alberta Party did well in one riding, and I'm not sure they're a big player at all. I think they have one place they're a player, so I wouldn't certainly wouldn't overestimate their strategy. And they, and they all, of course, in the camps on that night, were firmly saying, "Oh no, we're the Liberals." Were the Wildrose, were so there. There was not much talk within the the party stalwarts that I was with about about uniting like that. But I, you know, if if we don't, and if we have Tory majorities that are now not majorities in the Tory wins that are not majorities, we're into the federal kind of scenario. I mean, you're winning with forty percent, not sixty percent. And so the rest is being split. We're going to be in well, that scenario. Th- but
2: the difference is, like federally, if you were to get the NDP and Liberals add their vote up, they could actually defeat the Conservatives. Not the case here in Alberta. If you were to add up, and that's very simplistic to add up, the NDP with the Liberals, it doesn't make any difference, really, overall.
1: Oh, but it would have been white mud. Um, or in, in Elbow. Um, in, in Elbow, an elbow. Yeah. if the
2: Liberals, yes. In that one case, and you're right, the Alberta Party, if the li- if the Liberals had said, we're going to throw our support behind the Alberta Party, if they had done that, added two together, yes, Greg Clark would have would have won that riding for the Alberta Party. But that's being a little simplistic. But at the same time, you're right. The Alberta Party gets one good showing; they finished second in that riding. But that's to me, that's Greg Clark helped by a really good dream mean, they, team. They, they, they put with everybody
1: into yeah. it. Stephen yeah.
2: Carter. Yeah. I was talking to him yesterday, and he thought he wanted to win that. They didn't win it. So the Alberta Party shouldn't be getting right. ahead of itself thinking, hey, yes. we can We're do back. this. Yeah. Yeah. They're, not. Absolutely, they're
0: but,
3: not. I'll tell you, I think that, I think in answer to Sarah's question, the NDP did well enough in White Mud. I mean, I actually thought Bob Turner might have a stronger showing against Mandel. I, mean, I never thought he'd win, but I thought, you know, Mandel basically got twice as many votes as Bob Turner, the NDP who came second. Um but I think that was a good enough showing for Rachel Notley as the new leader. I think the party that lost the most the at, were the Liberals. Yeah. I mean, the lib- even in Elbow, where they had a strong candidate, um, and and in Mud where they had a strong candidate. I mean, they were just no-shows anywhere. Um, what came fourth in most ridings? Again, uh, two, I think they came fourth in Yeah, and you two. know, and, and this is a party that, you know, last election was the official opposition. Uh, you know the the leader who I think should be the most worried is Ross Sherman because I think his party is evaporating from under him
0: okay well let's go speaking of showings I don't think it was more than a few minutes after the uh, election results were finalized on Monday night that it was clear that uh, Prentice and it was clear that Prentice Mandel Dirks and Alice had won their races when there was a government news release about an (laughs) announcement first thing that morning at an ice cream place Uh, so the the the, the premier is even though the by-election is over he still seems to be showing up everywhere this week. Tell he's us, still campaigning. Tell us about some of those things well, that he's yeah, showing up um, for.
2: The one this week he mentioned, it was uh, rural development. They're putting more money into helping develop rural areas. And that's tied into a strategy to go back into rural areas tonight. We're talking Thursday. He's speaking at a premier's dinner in Manning,
1: And I want to know who paid for the flight because... The entire half the cabinet's on <laughs> that thing.
2: Yeah, it sounds like it's sort of, um, yeah, like the party if is paying for part of it and the oh government's really? paying for part of okay. it. Um, we'll see when it breaks down who actually gets paid for well, that. That's a right. good question. Um, but he's going to rural areas now. He's trying to win back areas that have either have gone to the wild rolls or have leaning that way to the wild rolls. So it's a strategy. But, yes, it's an announcement day. You know, we had uh, seniors' uh, homes, a sprinkler announcement this week. We've got an um, announcement today dealing with a lupicon. Yes. With the Lubicon today. And, and a legal aid announcement. A legal late aid this announcement. This yes.
0: Yeah, but so by the time you listen to this tomorrow morning, it'll all, all those things should be check your paper to see what happened. Is this going to happen for the next year and a half? An announcement a day. Well, the, possibly. That <laughs> they're telling
2: me yes, they're going to keep on doing things. They'll be hitting it, I guess, until the the session opens up in the seventeenth of November. But it's their plan to be a very much I hate this word proactive government to go out there and take the agenda away from the opposition. They've done that since he became premier, announcement after announcement, to take the agenda, to set the agenda. And they'll keep on doing it through the whole fall and then the red, the red zone, I guess, next year, heading to the election a year and a half from now. But you know,
3: the sprinkler announcement is a bit of a metaphor because now we're supposed to tug our forelocks and be grateful that old people aren't going to burn to crisps. I mean, these are things that that a proper government would have taken care of years ago. So they get to play the hero by riding in and solving problems that haven't been solved by the last four four premiers. That's great. You know, if, if they can make that work as a strategy for them, then I guess it's brilliant politics. Well, but I think we shouldn't be so overly grateful that we're just going to get people up to what's a basic safety standard.
1: There's plenty for him to catch up on, given that Alison Redford spent lots of her time on trips to Washington to talk about the oil sands and not a whole lot of time back home handling things like sprinkler systems. So he, he's he got a lot of space to play. And then he'll keep coming coming out with stuff. There'll be the renewable energy strategy, the greenhouse gas stuff coming up. And by the time we get to crunch time, which will be the budget that's going to be very interesting to see what happens. because so The price oil, price of oil, prices, oil is where it is, yeah. exactly. And how is same. he going to handle the fiscal thing? Are we going to go back into retrenchment? We're going to be cutting? What's How's he going to be different about that? Yeah,
3: because the latest forecasts are now $70 for West Texas Intermediate. And he's, that's he's not
1: good. he said no more new revenue streams. He's going to handle it the way every other Tory premier has handled it. How is that going to be different? Well,
0: and I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle themselves in the legislature, all these new MLAs. That's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, watching Stephen Mandel grilled-in-question period. I think I may have to, I may have to come uh, hang out with Graham in the press gallery just to watch that. <laughs> That'll be good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, let's get right into that. Good stuff from the gallery, our we- weekly segment where we suggest something you might enjoy reading, listening to, or uh, or watching. Graham, can you start us off? Yeah. Is it, do you have a spooky, spooky no, read for I us? No, I
2: don't. It's not, not a frightening. It's kind of a funny read, actually. It's New Yorker, October 20th edition. It's called Pets Allowed. Why are so many animals now in places where they shouldn't be? And the author is talking about something called emotional support animals, ESAs. They're starting, I don't know if you've heard of these. No, that's a new one. These are not working dogs. Like, you know, working animals like a a seeing eye dog or a hearing aid dog or something like that. These are people's pets they're taking into public areas that normally wouldn't be allowed there, like restaurants, on buses, on airplanes, museums. And they're bringing along with it um, a card that says these are emotional support animals or a letter from their therapist saying these animals are necessary these people to feel secure and the owners of the airlines and the museums are, are feeling well we got to let them in and this author actually tried to test this well actually did test it by taking on like a 28 pound turkey a live turkey <gasps> on board a bus to the hamptons
3: and didn't she take a llama someplace
2: and a llama that's right as an al- alpaca to <laughs> an art Graham museum is now
3: showing us a picture of the alpaca <laughs> it's uh, an, really cute wow. it is very cute
2: <laughs> um so the author took the alpaca to uh, an art museum um a, a, a place, placement full of priceless books of art and very fragile pieces of art takes it in and the management says no, 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 you can't bring this in author says this is my emotional support animal here's a letter from my therapist So, so they call <laughs> the owners of this building, <laughs> and the owners go, "You got to let them in." So they took the alpaca through the museum. As she's watching these uh, art, ex- uh, looking at these art exhibits that are priceless and could be damaged by an animal like this. But they felt they had no choice but to let the animal in, even though there's nothing legally requiring them to do it. So it's, I hope it,
0: the alpaca had a diaper on. I it? thought
2: this at first was a satire, this article. That it wasn't <laughs> real, but it seems to be real.
0: Okay! It's a very cute alpaca. Trick or treat. Thanks for that, Graham. <laughs> I'm not sure I can follow alpacas. Sheila or Paula, care to try?
1: Well, I, I'm not quite in that funny vein <laughs> or Still weird. Still, to I want to hear it. Sto- I'm going to bring you, yes, my um, uh, Story of Alberta with uh, Fred Stenson, well-known Alberta author. His new novel is called Who by Fire? And it's um, partly family saga, of he, he actually was his family was involved in the sour gas battle in southern alberta in the 90s and he's turned it into a a look at the collision between community and industry and the oil patch and he um you know puts it forward into today too i've only just started it i loved his other book on the trade the o- about the fur trade opening up the the west and uh, i think he's a great writer and i think if you want to I'm so happy that an author is finally tackling the social problems and uh, social and psychological aspects of living with the oil patch and when you come up against uh, big oil and what that does to Alberta community. We don't talk enough about that. We don't write many stories about that. We write many stories about approving oil sands plants and the need for jobs and more people. But this is really great that it's finally getting a look in fiction, which is going to really help people. Understand it.
0: That sounds good. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to recommend uh, something that, since we were thinking about decisions that haunt, haha, Halloween pun yet again. Um, I want to recommend a podcast. I've recommended this podcast before, but it's a specific episode. This is NPR's Planet Money, and they do great work explaining complex economic issues, or even not so complex. But the one that I want to recommend deals with an upcoming election in Kansas. It's called the Kansas Experiment. And they look at a decision that a very popular governor, uh, Sam Brownback, made to cut taxes back in the day and how that decision is haunting him in this coming election because the promised tax cuts have not delivered the economic benefits that were expected. And he is now having all these former huge Republican supporters start to line up behind the Democratic candidate for governor. So this is something that I just thought was so interesting. And since I really like elections and our by-elections are over, I thought I'd go hang, poke around American elections. That's
3: what the first George Bush used to call voodoo economics.
0: Yes. Well, so anyway, so that's uh, Planet Money's episode, The Kansas Experiment. And Paula... I also
3: I also have a book uh, today by an Edmonton author, and that's Brent Rathgaber's uh, book, Irresponsible Government. Brent Rathgaber, of course, is the former Conservative Party of Canada uh, MP who uh, left Stephen Harper's caucus. Um, and he's written a really, you know, all breakup books have their have a trajectory. But what's interesting about Rathgaber's book when he's not talking about how hard done by he was and how mean Stephen Harper was to him. His analysis of Harper's relationship with the Senate and Harper's relationship with the courts, particularly the Supreme Court of Canada, is actually very insightful. Unfortunately, Mr. Rathgeber was not well served by the editor of this book. Uh, And it's really unfortunate because the book is full of typos and garbled, like, you know, misprints. I don't, I mean, these aren't his mistakes, these are the printer's mistakes, Um, full of grammatical errors, spelling mistakes, and somebody should have disabled the exclamation point on Brent Rathgaber's keyboard before they let him write anything. But this is not a great piece of writing. It is at its best, though, a very cogent analysis of uh, the way power in this country has been centralized in the prime minister's office, and in particular, the adversarial relationship between the prime minister and the courts, which I thought was a really provocative thing, and as I
0: say, despite uh, poor marks for
3: style, excellent marks for content.
0: Great. Well, thank you, and I give you both excellent marks for good stuff in the gallery, all three of you. That's it for this week. Thanks to Graham, Paula, and Sheila for delivering so many tricks and treats in this podcast, and thanks to journal videographer Sean Butts for this week's video production. You'll find that clip on edmontonjournal.com, and you can find previous episodes of the Press Gallery archived on our website at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion. Or if you prefer, you can download them for free from iTunes and listen via our Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. We're on Facebook. We always post our links there, facebook.com slash gallery. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week in the Press Gallery.